I think the integration of AI, I think the integration of finding ways of being able to document relevant clinical information in a less inefficient way, to be able to pull in data and to be able to better tell a patient's story without pulling providers away from that patient. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Rich Temple. Rich, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. So Rich, for those of our listeners who don't know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Absolutely. Be happy to. My name is Rich Temple. I'm the Vice President and Chief Information Officer and also HIPAA Security Officer for the Deborah Heart and Lung Center in Browns Mills, New Jersey. Deborah is a cardiovascular and pulmonary specialty hospital in the wilds of Southern New Jersey. And for those of you who may not associate New Jersey with having wilds, we really do. Pretty rural part of the state. And we have our specialty and we do it well. One thing which is very unique about us, we're one of three hospital systems in the country that don't balance bill patients. It's us and St. Jude's and Shriners. So the notion of providing care to everybody that there's no price at life really permeates everything we do here. So it's a rather special place. That is very special and very unique. You know, it's funny when you mentioned that, I think about the New Jersey devil, like headed down to Atlantic City, all the <laughs> pine barrens there. If I look out my window, there's a chance I might see the Jersey devil. We're kind of in that vicinity. <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey, so I grew up with the stories. Anyway, I digress. Before we jump into, Rich, your personal backstory, a little bit about how you started out and how you got to the point you are at now, we like to ask, what's one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with to start? I would always say, listen, listen, listen to your customers and always position yourself as someone who's eager to help them out when they come to you with ideas or problems. You may not be able to solve all of their problems instantaneously, but your sincerity in terms of trying to help them will earn you esteem and earn you credibility for always giving it your best shot. I think you, you want to be seen as, if I can give any bit of advice to anyone, be seen as the partner to your customers. 
that I'm in this with you to try to help you navigate through your challenges. Even the way that you're talking about it, I think is significant. I have a CIO friend who says like users is kind of a naughty word, like drug dealers deal with users. (laughs) (laughs) So Rich, tell me a little bit about where you started out and how you got to be the CIO of such an esteemed organization. Well, I've had a circuitous journey to getting to this point, certainly. Many years ago, when I went off to college, I went off to college with the intent of majoring as a computer science major. And this is a long time ago where the whole notion of a computer science major wasn't always as defined as it could be. I took a class of programming and I did well in that class. I'm fairly wired like that in that manner that I would do well in programming. And then a follow-up class they gave after that was machine language, which are the basically the zeros and ones that machines use to be able to execute computer commands. I was in that class for two weeks and I didn't understand a bloody thing they were talking about. So I said, maybe I need to do a little bit of a pivot here. And I wound up bailing on the idea of computer science. and I decided to go for political science. Did that. I went to grad school. got my graduate degree. I started working for a law firm that did healthcare collections. So that was partly my entree into the world of healthcare, albeit a, you know, maybe a somewhat un- untraditional one. While I was there, I took some courses at Baruch College in New York City, which some people affectionately call UCLA for the University at the corner of Lexington Avenue. That's a New York joke. And <laughs> through their career center, I got hooked up with my first real IT position at a company called Health Management Systems. And what we did there was we built systems that maintain databases of third-party and third-party information. So if a hospital couldn't properly get third-party information on their Medicare patients, we would be able to help them do that and help them collect their bills without calling patients. Did that for a number of years, went to another company, that did business office outsourcing for hospitals and for large physician practices, and got presented with an opportunity to be a CIO at a hospital in northern New Jersey. And I said, I'd be crazy not to give this a shot. And I ran with it, and I loved it. Then the opportunity presented itself to do some consulting. This is around when meaningful use was starting to kick in. The world was being turned upside down. I said, how can I pass up an opportunity to throw myself at first into this? So I did that for a while. And then I came to find that much as I love that, I still love it to this day, being able to go in and make an impact on healthcare organizations just by learning what they're doing and helping them as best one can. I had another opportunity here at DeBoer to sort of come back and be a CIO again. And you know, one of the things that being a CIO means in the sense that you kind of have to eat your own dog food. If you make recommendations and you implement things, you have to live with those. And there was something very appealing about that. I get to hopefully help impact things in a positive way. And I have to live with, I slash we have to live with the consequences and benefits, hopefully, whatever we do. So here I am over seven years later, and I'm still at Deborah. Love it. Very cool. I love the eat your own dog food. It's true. I mean, that's what it is. Rich, what's one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of that journey personally and or professionally and what was life like before learning it and after learning it i think the lesson that i've learned over the years is to always try to move the ball forward it could be the organizational ball it could be your quote-unquote personal ball but if you're standing still and you're developing inertia you're moving backwards so there are organizations where there is that is the culture, and I think those organizations find that the world is going to be passing them by and leaving them in the dust. And that's not just true for organizations, that's true for people as well. So always look to move forward. I think when I first graduated from grad school and I was doing healthcare collections at the law firm, 
there was maybe a little bit of inertia in my life and I was missing out on being able to kickstart things and move things to the next level until I really grabbed the bull by the horns and said, I'm going to do something different. And when I ultimately did, I feel like I really benefited from it. I was able to more effectively launch my career in the direction I wanted it to go. So thank you for that, Rich. What about one of your biggest challenges or some would call a failure, a time that you really learned a really significant learning from not succeeding at something? You know, I'd almost go back to my period early in my career when I was doing collections. To me, a big challenge for me was that I felt like there were other things I really wanted to do. I wanted to sort of reunite with my passion for computers and technology, but I was struggling a little bit and the inertia was becoming the big thing. What I did do to try to conquer that is I signed up for some postgraduate courses at Baruch, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and I took the initiative to engage with their career center, and I got hooked up with a company there, and I was able to really, from that point, reconnect with what I really loved and get to do that professionally. So again, the challenge is sometimes it's easy to sort of get in a zone and stay in that zone, but you have to realize that that if, like I said, you always want to move forward, there's, you just you always want to be pushing for something, whatever that may be, because standing still is really ultimately moving backwards. So I had to really conquer my perceived inertia and blaze forward. 100%. I love what you mentioned before too about the organization becoming stagnant too, because I think that from what I've seen, often it's a cultural thing that perpetuates that within an organization. So for me as a leader, I have to really be living that in order to encourage my team to get with that as well. And I think for me, it's easier when I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. For example, I actually had a similar situation where in high school, studying MCSE, all slated to go to like RPI or something like that, decided at the last minute I wanted to like move to New York and go into finance. Hated it. Fast forward, got into technology. And now technology, particularly over the past couple of years, has just been moving at a tremendous pace. So much so that, you know, it's just to keep reading and learning. I mean, there's always an opportunity to learn something new. And so I think it's a great lesson and, you know, great for me to hear for sure. I mean, the world is so much different now than it was even five, six, seven years ago. And if you peer out into what the future may hold, it's going to be at least as different five, six, seven years post hence. And we need to be ready for that. If we're still delivering 2022 solutions in 2028, then that puts us at risk. So it's always important to make sure we're at the cutting edge of things. And I think for a specialty hospital, we recognize that people come to us because we have the latest and greatest. So we have to be able to always fulfill that. 100%. So Rich, I want to get into a little bit more about Deborah. So before we transition into that, favorite book? or literary piece, either that you're reading now or all time? Up to you. I'm an avid reader. I don't read a ton of books. I read periodicals. And for okay. the perspective of the healthcare industry, I love a website called healthsystemcio.com. There's HIS Talk. I mean, it just really keeps me plugged into what's going on. Their podcast, like Radio Advisory from the Advisory Board, has some really terrific content and they keep me company sometimes on the way home from work. I have a fairly long commute and it's nice to have that company and keep my brain plugged into what's going on. And I love reading the New York Times, The Economist, to find out what's going on in the world and being you know, kept abreast of news that you might not otherwise hear just from traditional news sources. So 
I love to soak in information and I soak it in from a myriad of different places. Yeah, 100%. I'm the same way. So, Rich, let's jump into Deborah. So, what is your vision for IT and digital and technology as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization? I think that we have to be at the cutting edge of making things as painless and frictionless as possible for the patient. It's all about the patient right now. And for years, we've talked about how technology can really empower patients. But for many years, that was a gleam in someone's eye. It really wasn't coming to fruition in the way that we had all hoped it was. But now it is. So my vision for the organization is being the first car on that train to be able to find new ways that we can make the experience as frictionless and as easy for patients as it possibly can. And that starts from the first time they even contemplate scheduling an appointment with us all the way through the process of how we navigate them through their appointments to the experience of staying in touch with them after their appointments without appearing too stalky because we don't want to be so in their face that we come bothersome, but we want to be, I talked about the concept of partnership earlier, and we want to be their health partner, but we don't want to be a health partner in a very overbearing way. One of the things that's also really maturing as a technology we're finding is making clinical information pervasive, making it available not just to caregivers, but to the patients themselves. So they have all, they really have a 360 view of their own information that they could share with anybody. And even better, that the wherewithal exists through different HIEs and through direct messaging to be able to provide a practitioner who's seeing a patient with a full 360 degree view of what's happening. So our goal is to make all that happen. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that our goal is to keep our systems safe and secure. Cybersecurity in healthcare is an ongoing threat. It's getting worse. The consequences of cybersecurity events are getting worse and worse. And you know, we as an organization, despite everything that we're saying about making sure we're taking care of patients and taking care of those who take care of patients, we have to do it in a safe and secure manner. So we're not violating the sanctity of patient information and we're not causing ourselves the potential of having a catastrophic event that would preclude us from doing that properly. I think we all talk about cybersecurity, but it truly is one of the things at the top of the list of things that keeps CIOs up at night because you just never know. You try to do everything you possibly can. You mitigate all the risks you possibly can, but you always have to stay one step ahead. Oh yeah. Huge topic right now. And the patient access journey, if you will, that is a conversation that it feels like a hundred different people right now. Just it's such an evolving topic and everyone is trudging down this road together in healthcare, it seems to me. So much so that I feel like if one consultant were to come in and tell you they had it all figured out, they'd be full of baloney because the fact of the matter is, at least for health systems in particular, like everyone is kind of some more than others along that journey, trying to build that solution. I loved what you said too about not being stalkerish, right? You might've said it more eloquently, but how am I informing that contact, right? So how am I creating a clean digital audit trail? How am I building a platform on the back end, custom or not, to then use some kind of predictive analytics and or just logical analytics to say, hey, David, we know your father had a heart condition, but you're 45 now. You should be coming in for this screening, right? Like you said, I think to start, kind of that personalized, frictionless experience where I'm much more apt to say, oh, oh, geez, yeah, that's true. 
than if it was just a randomly generated email. And if you said that and you were able to provide a little bit of context as to why you're saying that without writing a book or talking too much in clinical speak, just in layman's terms to say, this is what we've observed from the data that we have, we think you'd be well served to do X, Y, and Z. I think people appreciate that. You just, you just can't, you want to be engaging with them, but you don't want to go to the well so much that they find you bothersome and they start tuning you out. There are vendors who send me things so frequently, I just ignore them. We don't want that to happen. We want to make sure we stand out and we want to make sure that we're conveying the information that we want to convey and doing it in the best way possible, but not going over the top with that. And you don't want to scare them either, right? So it's that, exactly. that fine line, right? Very much so. No, very cool. So we kind of started touching on some of the initiatives, I guess, but what are some of the key initiatives that make up some of the topics that we were just discussing that you guys are working on right now? When we look at patient engagement, we traditionally think of patients or family members calling a contact center and being placed on hold and waiting for somebody to pick up the phone and then being transferred to wherever they need to go. And that's not going away. There's always going to be a need for that. But more and more, our society is embracing texting. And you need to text securely, certainly. That's terribly important from both a HIPAA perspective as well as just from a I think a common sense perspective, you want to be as secure about this very confidential transaction as you possibly can. But people are used to texting now, even people who don't embrace technology or you think wouldn't embrace technology as much. I mean, if nothing else, they're texting their grandkids, something which is slightly asynchronous. So you may text and you don't necessarily expect to get a response instantaneously, but that also means that you're not going to be left on hold or be bounced around and someone will get back to you. So We've really jumped with both feet into using texting as a tool. I mean, yes, we set out appointment reminders to people. That's not in and of itself revolutionary. I mean, plenty of places are doing that now. But we allow for a bi-directional communication. We allow for the patient to say more than yes or no to us. They can text into their provider, be able to get a response as needed. You have secure messaging through a patient portal. That's another angle, and we want to make better use of our patient portal. We do now, but there's always more we can do. We just try to have as many entry points as we possibly can for patients to be able to communicate with us and for us to be able to communicate with patients. And I say that recognizing that the traditional telephone call is always going to be there, always going to play a pretty big part, but there are so many other parts and they open up a lot of opportunity for patient satisfaction and for modeling the experience that patients have with other e-tailers, for instance, where everything just so easy to go buy something online. We want to be able to make healthcare that easy. Now, realize healthcare has certain limitations that traditional retailing doesn't. You don't have to get a prior authorization to buy something from Target or Amazon online. You don't have to let that go through. You don't have special coding you need to do. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be moving in that direction. We should try to really strive for having that kind of experience with the recognition that where those inevitable bumps in the road are going to be, how do we smooth those bumps as best we can? That makes sense. What about some of the biggest challenges that you're facing as an organization today? Challenges we face is that, I mean, healthcare is changing quickly and healthcare in general, post-pandemic, the business of healthcare has evolved incredibly since COVID has come into play. And Hospitals are struggling more than ever. They're struggling. I mean, there are financial realities. There are staffing realities. I mean, what happened with the pandemic, what's happened 
as we've adopted more and more technology. In many ways, the technology has been hugely beneficial, but in some ways, if not properly configured, it could be a real burden for people who are trying to provide care and taking them away from the patients. So our challenges are to leverage that technology and make that technology an asset to our day-to-day workflows and our day-to-day operations and not have it be a liability. That's a big one. And again, staffing is staffing's a big thing. Supply chain is a big thing. Keeping the finances flowing is a very big thing. And especially in our unique world where we don't have a self-pay revenue stream. So, I mean, every dollar counts even more. And because we do here at Aura, we do see we're the sickest patients in the States. We have a higher case mix than anybody because of the nature of what we do. We have to make sure that we're doing it right. We're doing it efficiently. Speaking of efficiency, what about some of the best practices you and your team follow? I think the best practices that we have, it's a combination of things. I think our best practices are that we allow for individual empowerment within our team to be able to improve system and process changes where those individuals who can improve them are the folks who are most qualified to make those changes and are most likely to be directly impacted by that. So we do let a number of people sign off on different things. We don't do it willy-nilly. We're very careful about what we do. But on the flip of that, as we empower people, I think we have a very tight quality control and a very tight change control methodology that we make sure that we dot every I and cross every T. And I find sometimes it's an interesting dynamic for myself and my team. I have a fabulous, fabulous team. My team keeps me honest sometimes because, I mean, I sort of sometimes the wild-eyed idea person. I have all these ideas that I try to stay plugged into sometimes the fringe of what's happening in healthcare. And I say, wouldn't that be nice if we could do that here? And I love the fact that part of the best practice that we have is that my team, to some extent, acts as a reality checker when something I come up with is out there and may not be applicable right at this time. I think that's a benefit to me. They really in a little bit. And I think likewise, I'm able to sort of push them in directions that they might not, they would want to be pushed. And I can do that knowing that I that they're a terrific backstop. If something goes off the rails, we'll be able to get it back on the rails fast because we attach so much rigor to what it is that we do. I love that. My wife is that person in my life because I'm I'm the dreamer. (laughs) She's the one who reels me in. Uh, We all need that person, David. Isn't it nice though that you can go a little bit farther out on the rail than you might otherwise knowing that there's something there that can backstop you if you're going. Oh yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I do have some folks like that professionally as well. So I have that. It is. It really is. Speaking of the fringe too, I mean, so what about some particularly innovative technologies specifically? Because obviously you can innovate operationally, you can innovate technologically, but maybe some innovative technologies that you plan to use to support the business vision of Deborah, either that you're implementing now or that you see as something that could be on the roadmap for the future. You know, we're always looking at artificial intelligence, and it would be real easy to, for me to say chat GPT, and easy though it is to say it anyway, because yeah. it's something that just fascinates me as few things have fascinated me in a while, and the potential for this. It's not something here today that we could just jump into with both feet. It's been said that chat GPT is sort of like a brilliant adolescent. You see so much promise, the light's going on in so many different ways, but It could be error prone and do foolish things and not understand the circumstances or context that it's doing things in. But I look at that in terms of being able to support providers with diagnoses, being able to help with precision medicine, being able to help with data 
from all across the internet and they probably eventually all across EHRs securely, hopefully, to be able to synthesize all that into a coherent flowing narrative and to be able to guide it. There is a healthy debate in the AI world about whether AI can be used to supplant people. And I guess at the most basic level, perhaps it can to a limited extent, but I don't see it like that. I see AI as being something that allows people to work at the top of their license by providing them the resources they need to work their magic. So we don't have a lot of specific programs afoot, although this is something that we really want to keep our eyeballs on. We also want to migrate more to a mobile environment where folks can be able to do as much work as they can on wireless or in cell phone devices where practical. We have a, 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 several initiatives in terms of doing that, so that's always there. If the easier you can make it to bring the people who need access to information at the point of care, the easier you can make that, the better the care is going to be and the more that they'll be able to spend one-on-one -on -one time with the patient because they're not hacking around on a computer for information that's buried deep in an electronic health record. So that's a big thing for us as well. For sure. We're using ChatGPT. We're starting to roll out our first few instances of ChatGPT within clients, particularly in patient access and contact center in a limited way, right? We want to keep the bumpers around it, but we're going to be doing some stuff at Vive and in Austin, just with CIO kind of collaboratives on that. So I'll keep you posted. Definitely. It's wonderful stuff. What a time to be in healthcare and what a time for this to sort of land in our laps. Because again, we've been talking about AI for a long time, always had a lot of promise, but I feel something's different this time. This, yeah. time, this might be the transformation agent that can really propel us in a very new and a very exciting direction. 100%. Then that kind of flows into some of my last questions I'd have for you, Rich. Where do you see, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future? And what do you think will be the, some of the biggest changes as time passes? I think the integration of AI, I think the integration of finding ways of being able to document relevant clinical information in a less inefficient way to be able to pull in data and to be able to better tell a patient's story without pulling providers away from that patient. I see that's going to happen a lot. AI does, and potentially ChatGPT do play a role in that. I see further interoperability between a myriad of different systems. I'm seeing hints of it now. We HIEs have been around for a while. Some have been more effective than others have, but all in all, there's been a foundation that's been laid down for that. Can we really fulfill the potential of that? Can we use that to improve health equity, to bring care to people who would otherwise traditionally have easy access to it? Can we do population health analyses? Can we micro-target where there are areas that we need a particular intervention by using these technologies? So the potential is endless. It gets away from just treating the individual, but treating the population and being able to treat the population in a manner that everyone has equal access to the care that they need. If they have transportation issues, say they can't get to the hospital, we should be able to have a telehealth platform that can be accessed by them and things like that. And there's so much potential there. I think we're just scratching the surface and it's going to be a very exciting and fascinating thing to see what happens a few years down the road. So looking forward to that. Me too. So as we wrap up here, we like to ask if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? 
Be a little patient, but not very patient. And don't be so patient that it turns into inertia. Always keep driving and always be enthusiastic. Throw yourself into things. And I think that's enthusiasm is contagious. And I think you can do a lot by demonstrating enthusiasm for what it is that you're doing and getting people around you to really buy into that and catch the fever in a good way. I always want to encourage myself to continue doing that as best I can to continue others who are looking to build a career in this industry to do that because enthusiasm is infectious and drive is also infectious. Don't let your foot off the gas pedal. Don't go so fast that you crash into a wall, but keep your foot on the gas and keep going. Love it. Rich, it was an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, that was my pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.